0: You're listening to a message from the Church at Martinsburg. For more information about the Church at Martinsburg, visit martinsburgchurch.org want to just take a moment and again welcome you to the church at Martinsburg. Uh, my name is Josh McLean and I love to, to preach. I love to, to help to shepherd God's people here at the church at Martinsburg and it's a privilege for me to, to do this. Uh, we are week four in a, in a five-part series called Who We Are and it's sad that uh, I've got this uh, th- today and then I've got next week and then uh, this series is over. I've really enjoyed, I've grown personally as I've gone through who it is that we are, as I've been reminded of that, of our identity as a church, as a people. I'm looking forward to uh, sitting under uh, the, the teaching of Josh Tingler, pastor, uh, preacher uh, Josh Tingler from IBC. I've enjoyed that in the past. Uh, he is truly, uh, the Lord has nourished and fed my soul and my family through, through him, and he's a great guy and a dear friend. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be looking at the, at, at the, at the book uh, Ephesians, and so we're going to walk through that. I'm excited about that. But today, uh, we're going to be in week four of who we are. And so we began this series uh, who we are by looking at our identity. And we, that, that who we are is a statement. It's not a question. We're not asking this morning who we are. We're not trying to do a group think and figure out, oh, who, is, who are we anyway? This is probably a good time to figure that out. We know who we are. That's a statement of, uh, as a matter of fact, we began this series by, by asking, or by looking at uh, people helping people find and follow Jesus. It's our, 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 our mission statement, if you will. We found out through 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that God has reconciled us as a church to himself through the blood of his son on the cross and that because we've been reconciled to him we've now been become ambassadors for him we go and we bring this message of reconciliation we're people helping people find and follow Jesus we have been found we have been helped and now we go with that message to help others find and follow Jesus so that was our, our mission statement. But we, we, we also want to talk about, hey, what, what do we value here? What's important to us as a church? And we have four values that we say these are paramount. These are the top of the pile. And number one is it's all about Jesus. We asked the question, does that mean everything is all about Jesus? What's all about Jesus? And we said, yeah, it's, it's all about Jesus. From education to child rearing to, 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 to our, uh, our job, whatever it is, everything and everybody, it's all about him. It's all should, it all should be centered on him. And that's just been who we are as a church. It's always been about Jesus. And the other one we looked at last week was uh, the fact that the word matters here. We talked about what does it mean to say the word matters here. We're talking about the Bible. We looked at 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by God. And we say, well, therefore, it's authoritative. And not only is it authoritative, not only does it mean something in our lives, not only is it authoritative over this body, but it's also sufficient It's also capable of teaching us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So these are two things that we find extremely valuable to us. And you'll probably notice that those two are foundational, right? The fact fact that it's all about Jesus and we're big picture focused. Those two are foundational. And with those two closely linked and in place, it creates a trajectory for us that determines where we're going. And so because those two things are true, Because it's all about Jesus and because the word matters here, this next statement, this next value that we'll look at this morning is also true. And that's this we are big picture focused. We're big picture focused. We're going to tackle that this morning. Remember, I said that our focus determines our destination. And so what are we focused on this morning as a church? I think it's helpful for us to be reminded of that and to look at Scripture together so we can be encouraged as to where we find this. Where do we find this idea of being big picture focused? Well, it's throughout the Scripture. Matter of fact, the Scripture is the big picture from Genesis to Revelation. But specifically, I want to look at a text this morning, Colossians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It'll be up on the screen. If you'd like to hold a Bible in your hand but you don't have one, we've got on the, on the tables in the back of the room here, we've got tables or Bibles, rather, that are available for you. You can use that this morning. Also, if you'd like to, you're welcome to keep that, take it home, uh, no charge. But Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be. So you already know, we've, we've been, just even in this series, we've spent some time in Colossians and so you know a little bit of the story. Uh, you know that Paul gets a report about some false teachers that are coming around and they're confusing and distorting true doctrine that the church has, has received. But Paul actually hears a good report. I missed the bad one. He, he, he also hears that their faith in Christ as a church is strong and that it's growing and that it's bearing fruit. So Paul hears that and he's excited about that. We're going to see that in just a moment. You're also going to see... That Paul here heard the report that their love for saints or Christians, that it is there as well, and that it is bearing fruit, and that it is growing. And lastly, you'll hear that, you'll see that Paul says that their hope in the future is there. Matter of fact, he makes a case, I'll make a case as well, rather, that that Paul is saying that their hope in the future, their their focus, their, their their expectation is now creating this growth. In faith in Christ and love as well, and so faith in Christ, love for the saints, hope in the future. Let's look at our text this morning, and ch- starting in verse number three, it says, "We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel." which has come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Would would you pray with me? Father, we look at your word this morning, and we ask that you would send your spirit, to enlighten us, to encourage us, to help us to understand, and not just to understand, but to have the faith to implement what we learned this morning. Father, as we prayed a moment ago, we, we ask that you would help us to see with eyes of faith afresh this morning what you see. Help us to see the world the way that you see it. Help us to see our neighbors the way that you see them. Help us to see our children, our co-workers, the nations, our nation, that, the way that you see it. We pray that as you help us to to look in that way, to see that big picture, to be focused on that, that we'd have the courage to act on it as well. We ask that these things be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. So it, it seems as though Paul is trying to say, not trying, but he is saying that the Colossian church has faith in Christ and love for the saints because of their hope in the future. And so we're going to start by taking a look at faith in Christ. What is faith? Well, Faith is the soul looking upward to God. What is love? Well, love is looking outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith rests in the past work of Christ. Love works in the present. Hope anticipates for the future. Let's look at faith, though. What is it? Faith means to be persuaded that something is true and to trust in it. To be persuaded that something is true, and then to trust in it. So in that definition, there's more than just intellectual assent, isn't there? It involves an obedience. It it involves a, uh, a conforming to that truth. So the Bible warns us that there's a saving faith, and there's also a dead faith. Saving faith is carefully defined in Scripture, and and what it is, you need to, we've got to be careful, it talks about it in James, we've got to be careful that we don't think that we have real faith, true saving faith, when we actually have dead faith. The difference is this, true faith contains both repentance and obedience. True faith contains both repentance and obedience, recognizing uh, the wrongdoing, recognizing the need to change, but then also an obedience. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so you know that the church here in Colossae, they were pleasing to God. They had faith. They had faith in Christ. It's not enough just to have faith. It's not enough just to say that something is true, but not to put their faith in it. They were doing both of those. But then what's, what's, what's your faith anchored in? What's their faith anchored in? It's very clear. Faith in Christ Jesus Spurgeon illustrated the importance of the object of one's faith by, by telling a story about two men that were in a boat that was capsized. They were on a river going through some rapids, and, and not far ahead of them was a, a steep, or not a steep, but a, a large drop off, a large waterfall. And if they were to go over that, if they were to go through that, they probably wouldn't be seen again. Some guys on the shore, they recognize that they're in a desperate situation. They, they throw a rope to them. One of the men, they, they, he sees the rope, and he recognizes this rope. Will save me. He places his faith in that rope. He grabs, the, he grabs that rope. Flimsy as it, as it is. Not, not even tight. He grabs onto that rope. The other man that was in that same situation, he looks over to his left and he sees a large log. Very, very heavy, very sturdy. Quite a bit of mass there. Not flimsy. He grabs onto that and he holds on. And what happens? Well, one man is pulled to shore to safety and the other one plummets to his death. Never to be seen again. Both of these men had faith. But the object of their faith was quite different. The men were putting their, ob- their, their faith into two different things. So what's the object of your faith this morning? What are you anchoring into? What are you holding on to? Is it, is it works? Is it your intentions, your good intentions? Is it, or is it Jesus Christ? The church of Colossae, they were 100% placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Many of them were. And Paul commended them for that. I, I recently uh, ran into a guy that was from another faith, and I love to talk to people that have other uh, uh, d- uh, background and cultures, and I love to talk about different religions. And so we talked for a long time, and he explained all the tenets of his faith, and I asked a lot of questions. And at the end of the day, I, I rec- I, we we just rec- we, we noticed that we're not going to agree. And he looked at me and he said, "You know, it's it's not that big of a deal anyway." He said, "You you just believe what you believe." And I believe what I believe, and it's going to be okay. As long as we 100% believe that, as long as we do the best that we can, in the end, God will be pleased with both of us. Thought, what? That's, nothing could be further from the truth. What, how damnable was that, what he just said? It's dangerous to hold on to that. Do the best that you can, and God will he'll be gracious to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Christianity is all about. That's not part of our good or our big picture focus doesn't matter what your intentions are. Your good works cannot save you. We must put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what the church at Colossae was doing. They said it's all about Jesus. And, and you know, th- that group of people had been plagued with false teachers. We talked about that before. They're peddling false views and, about Jesus, among other things. And yet Paul knew that many of them were holding strong. They were remaining faithful to Jesus Christ. Just, uh, they were holding on to the things that, that Epaphras had taught them. So Paul reinforces that, and he calls the church at Ephesus to see Jesus for all that he is. And that value was started there. It wasn't started there, but it was held to there, that it's all about Jesus. So we've been holding on to that here at the church at Barnesburg for the last almost a decade. It's all about Jesus. It didn't begin with us. It didn't begin in the Reformation. It didn't begin 2,000 years ago even with the church at Colossae. It's always been about Jesus, and the church at Colossae, they saw that. So they had faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was their object they were trusting in, that they were submitting to. They also had a love for the saints. And by the way, it, saint is just another word for Christian or, or holy one, somebody that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they had a love for the saints. and that shouldn't be a surprise to us, should it? Jesus said in John uh, chapter 13 verse 35 he says, "By this, shall, or by this will all men know that you are my disciples." If you have love, one for another. So Paul says, hey, hey, you remember what Jesus said? I'm so encouraged because it's true of you. He says, e- Epaphras told me that you guys have love for the saints, that you love the brethren, you love the church. He says, that's encouraging to me because Jesus said, if, if I run into somebody, if I hear of somebody that loves the church, if I lo- then, then they're one of Jesus' disciples. So Paul's encouraged by that. True faith in Christ will naturally demonstrate itself in our lives. If we really have faith in Christ, one of the ways that will manifest itself is we will love the brethren. We will love the saints. Faith in Christ, practically, it removes the selfishness and pride that once ruled our hearts. But It doesn't just remove the pride. It doesn't just remove the selfishness. It also implants in there a love. A love for God. A love for others, especially of, of the household of faith. So what a clear picture we see of this in the life of Paul. Do you remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the book, uh, the letter to the church at Colossae? Do you remember what happened in his life? He, he hated Christians. He hated the household of faith. He hated the way, right? He was against it. His whole body, everything in him was just against it. And what happens? When he has faith in Christ, his life is completely changed and immediately You can see a love for the brethren. Now, the brethren weren't so fond of him. Not initially, right? This this man has been killing us. He's been been a plague to our our, our faith. And now Paul just wants to hang out. He just wants to be a part of their their fellowship and their their little concern. Nevertheless, Paul immediately had that love for the brothers. We see that same thing in Epaphras. Paul preaches this message, this gospel to Epaphras, and what does he do? He goes and he preaches to the church at Colossae. And now Paul recognizes that. Hey, this, these brothers, they're, they're Christians here. They, there's a church here. And now he engages them and he loves them. There's this, uni- this unity between Paul and Epaphras is, is amazing as well. Paul calls them faithful and beloved. There's no competition between Epaphras and Paul. None. None whatsoever. There's a camaraderie. There's a celebration of the, of the gospel wins, the home team scoring. And Paul loves to hear of gospel wins, and he he loves to encourage that. It's a, another mark of a mature Christian. It's a mark of somebody who has a big picture focus. When churches are growing, when Christians are uh, when when churches are growing, when Christians are seeing the results in their life and, and a healthy walk with Christ, we should celebrate that and thank God for it because that's a part of this big picture focus. So Paul he, he hears the report, what's going on in the, at the church in Colossae, and he he begins to pray for them immediately. Don't forget that Paul actually heard bad news, and that's part of what prompted this letter, but he also found something, great things to be thankful for and to thank God for, and he says that he did that regularly. Also notice that Paul says, he said, when I pray for you, I thank God for you. It's a realistic prayer report. I think that is something that we should, we should, we should take a, little, uh, a lesson from. How many times in my life, how many times in your life have you said, hey, I'm praying for you, or I'll pray for you? and then we don't. How many times do we that? We, we, we need to be a people that pray for each other. That's part of this big picture focus, and Paul's demonstrating that for us. He it's not the same thing. Saying I'll pray for you and praying for you, those are two different things. And Paul sets the example for us. Hey, I'm praying for you on a regular basis. Having a list, being intentional about that. It's a demonstration of somebody that doesn't have a myopic or narcissistic view of the world and, and it being about themselves. It's a sign of somebody who sees, again, that big picture. So Paul hears about this church, and they have a love for the saints, and they have faith in Christ. And he's truly thankful to God. Before we move on to the, to the third part there, that hope in the future, I want to make some observations about the text that relate specifically to faith and love. And so the first is this, that the church at Colossae, they had faith in Christ and love for the saints, and that was, in a sense, predicated upon the fact that the word had been preached to them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So they had faith, and where did that come from? It, heard, it came from them hearing the word of Christ. We've been talking about this for weeks. What is that word of Christ? What is that word of God? What is it? It's the message of reconciliation, it's the gospel. 2 Corinthians talks about it. It's all throughout Scripture the gospel, the good news. And Epaphras, he had his life literally turned upside down when he heard the word of Christ. From Paul, likely, visiting another city. Paul's preaching. Epaphras likely hears the, the, the gospel there. His life is turned upside down. Faith springs up in his new heart, and he begins to share his newfound faith with those in his own town. Faith and love and, and his life begins to ex- explode And then the result is the word of God goes on and is shared and it moves forward and it sees fruit and it increases. Paul shares it with Epaphras. Epaphras believes. Epaphras shares it with the church. The people at in Colossae and they believe, and the church is born there. In verses five through seven, it says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing. As it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. And so, Epaphras, along with many others, was joyfully and faithfully sharing this message of reconciliation as an ambassador for God. Look at verse six it says, It was bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel, the word, as it went forth, it was bearing fruit. And it was increasing, and that, that word bearing fruit literally just means to make fruit. It just literally so it's so the gospel being preached is making fruit. It's multiplying essentially, and it's increasing, which means it's spreading. So one is uh, one is a location, and one is a, a quantity. And so not only is it growing in quantity, but it's also growing geographically. It's it's spreading out. This is all as a result of Epaphras sharing the gospel and others who have received it, them as well, spreading this message. Just like kudzu, taking over the place, except it, does, it bears fruit and not just destroys things. And once mature, a seed, what, a plant, what will it do? It will go to seed, and it will spread. It will just cover up a space. In contrast, think of the consequences of a plant that, that doesn't actually reproduce and spread. It's, it's sick. What happens? It eventually uses up and depletes the resources in the location that, it, that it's in, and it, it never, never seeds. And therefore, no new generations come. That's true of a church as well. Look at our church. Look at the the way the Lord has blessed and moved. He's given us this big picture focus to where we send and we spread. We plant churches and we send missionaries. Not not tooting our horn, but it's because God has given us a vision of this big picture focus. And the gospel is not merely a stagnant system of ethics. Uh, that, that's, that, that's, that's stagnant, no, it's living, it's moving, it's, it's growing, and it bears fruit and it spreads. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living, and it's active, it's doing something. And the living gospel is the power that transforms lives. And as it does this, the witness of those transformed lives produces more fruit, including new converts, and as the gospel produces fruit in individual lives, its influence increases and spreads as well because the gospel is universal. The gospel isn't just applied to one people group or one continent. It is universal. It's a message of hope for all peoples, for all cultures because we know the true church, the body of Christ, the Bible says in Revelation 7, is from every tribe, from every language. And it's made up of people from all over the world. So we go and we share And remember, our focus determines our destination. Our focus determines our destination. We see the future. We know it's all about Jesus. We know the word matters here. And because of those two things, because of what God has given us, this focus, this vision of the future, we begin to see fruit in our lives as the gospel goes forward. And this is that message of reconciliation that we've been talking about. It's growing it's expanding and Jesus gave us this message and he sent us out as ambassadors for him the church at Marnsburg and he declared that his message would go forth and it has. This is some 30 years later after Jesus said hey, you guys are going to go forward and you're going to preach the gospel and, the, and it's gonna, my, my church is going to grow and the, even the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You guys are going to be so successful it's going to expand and grow. And this is, this, is a, uh, this is Jesus' prediction coming true. Paul is saying I, I've heard of it. I've seen it. This faith this love that you have, it's expanding and it's growing and it's fantastic. And he celebrated it and he thanked God for it. And even today, we are here this morning as a result of the gospel being preached. People coming to faith, people are loving the saints. And what, ha- what happens? It spreads and it bears fruit. And here we are, even at that moment in time, third, fourth, fifth generation of Christians sharing the gospel with, with other friends and then becoming Christians them joining the church, them joining the work and the mission of God. By the way, there's more expansion. That's that's been happening for 2,000 years, right? The church has just continued to grow and expand. But the work is not over yet. There's still more to do. So that's one observation. There's another observation I want to draw out. And that's that faith and love spring from, in a sense, or are a result of hope. So because of or on account of hope, faith and love grow. In other words, Paul is saying that faith and love are a direct result of hope, of this focus, of this future desire or anticipation. This may seem a little bit odd to you because theologians often uh, say something a little bit different, right? They say that uh, they argue that an individual's faith in Christ and, and love for the saints is not based on hope of a reward, but it's actually the other way around. And that is true. Paul teaches that that's true in other passages. But we're not just talking about an individual faith, your faith and love being created by something. That's not what we're talking. We're talking about the plurality here. Paul is addressing the entire church here. If you look through this passage, there's no singular you. He's not. He doesn't say, "Hey, you are this. You are that." All of those yous that you read in, in verses three to eight are all plural. That, that's, so, uh, that's so part of who we are as, as the West. We, we look at everything as individualistic. This is about me, how I can grow, how I can uh, better, uh, better serve the Lord, how I can be, uh, experience more joy in my life, how I can serve God where I'm supposed to go. And that's not the way the church at Colossae was hearing this. And that wasn't what Paul was intending them for to hear. He's saying this, collectively, as a church, as a people of God, together, you're, you're going to see growth. And when you see that growth, that is going to give way. When, when you have hope in that future, it's going to give way to faith in Christ increasing and love for the saints increasing as well. And so can the expanding faith and growth of the church at Colossae and their, separate, and their corporate love uh, for one another and the missionary endeavors be attributed and built upon um, their, their hope in the future? Yes, it can, and it is. And this is why we as a church demonstrate such a dynamic and growing faith and love because we see with spiritual eyes that which can only be seen with eyes of faith. We hope in the future. The gospel produces both fruit in the internal individual transformation, but it also provides fruit in external growth of the church. And that's what Paul's talking about here. But these two concepts, they're definitely they're, they're interrelated for sure. The spiritual growth of individuals will always lead to new converts being one to Christ. And that was the pattern of the early church. We, we see that all throughout the book of Acts. So what was causing this growth in the church at Colossae and throughout the world? Not just in Colossae, but throughout the world, Paul says. What was causing it? It was their hope in the future. It was their expectation, their anticipation. What were they focused on, though, specifically? What about Jesus? What about the Word of God was driving them? And giving way for this growth and expansion. What was it? It's hope. What's hope? Hope is a feeling of expect- expectation for a, a certain thing to happen. It's like when you know uh, as a child that somebody's mom or dad's going to come through that door. They're going to be here shortly. And so you wait with anticipation and you look at that door. You wait for them. Oftentimes we, we see our, our, our pets do that, right? Our dogs wait at the door just anticipating us to open that door with joy they wait. They're focused. And that's what this church is doing. They're, they're focused on something with anticipation. And it's giving way to growth and faith and growth and love for the church. So perhaps you're here today. I want to address this. Perhaps you're here today and you say, well, I, I'm struggling to follow all this. I, I'm struggling to believe any of this, that it's not just nonsense. I, I, I don't know if I can believe that all this stu- talk about faith and love and expansion of the church. I, you, I, you're, you're having a difficult time... Uh, it, I, I get that, and I want to I want to address that. I, I want to talk about the fact that sometimes it, it seems as though things are not the way they should be. What I mean by that is this: so we may not agree on the fact that you may not believe in the Bible. If you're here today, you may not believe that that faith in Christ is a thing. That we should desire, that love for the saints is something that we should experience or even desire. But I think we could, agree, we could agree on this that a mother should not take the life of her child. Can we agree on that? That's happened recently. Somebody has taken the, the, the life of their child. And we all look at that and we say, we agree with, on two things there. One, it happened. And two, it should not have happened. One, it happened. And two, it should not have happened. So we're making progress. We, we agree on that, don't we? And even in that, that's hope. That's what, that's what the Colossian church is, it has. They, they hope they're saying, wait a minute, this is how it is, but this is not how it should happen. And they take it a step farther and they say, and we hope that one day it will go to where it will be like it should. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're moving forward to. And the Bible gives Christians a framework, a a chronological framework for us to to view the world by. And we look at the world and we say, it started with creation, the way it ought to be. The the world and everything in it was made the way that it should be. That's creation. God created the earth, everything in it, it's all perfect. Then enters the fall, what Christians call the fall. And that's the way it is. So we look at that. Those are those two things you you say, well, I don't agree with creation, I don't agree with the fall. But you do agree with what we're saying. Creation is the way that it should be, and the fall is the way that it is. So we agree on that. Christians receive this this hope. We get this vision, this this picture of something far greater that it says redemption is available the way it can be. So the way that it was, the way that it should be, the way that it is now, and the way that it can be right now, we can receive redemption. Things can be made right. We can receive forgiveness. We can experience freedom that's available to us today. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the only piece of faith. That's not the only thing that Christians hope in. We also hope in the restoration that one day everything will be made the way that it should be. Everything will be put back to to the way that it was. So creation, the way that it should be. The fall, the way that it is. Redemption, the way that it could be. And restoration, the way that it will be. It's, It's coming. It's happening. And the church at Colossae, that's what they were focused on. They saw that. They understood that, and they hoped for that restoration. We see creation, and we see the fall, and whether you're w- willing to see that, that, Abe, uh, that Adam was a real figure that plunged the world into destruction, into the fall, you have to admit that the world is not the way that it should be. We've experienced, as Christians, we've experienced redemption, and we eagerly we await the restoration of it all when the world is set back to the way that it should be. That's huge. So, the hope that Paul recognized in in, in that church was creating quite a stir. It was changing everything. Remember, their focus determines their destination. Their focus had changed, it had shifted, and they weren't walking around as people without hope. Now they had hope. They were working towards that redemption, they were working towards that restoration. Makes me think of this big picture idea. It makes me think of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking of, he's teaching about the, the kingdom of God, and he says, It's like a treasure hid in a field. And he says, A man finds that treasure in a field, and he recognizes, Hey, this, this field is for sale. I don't have enough money to buy it. He gets the bright idea I'm going to sell everything I have, everything, to buy that field. His wife, he goes home, he, he starts posting things on offer up. He starts posting things, trying to get money. Trying to, he's on Facebook Marketplace, not trying to buy anything, just trying to sell some stuff. And his wife's freaking out. She's like, Is he, is he going through midlife crisis? Why don't you just get a motorcycle like a normal person? Why, why, why can't we do that? Right? And she doesn't see the big picture. And then he takes all this, all this money and he goes down and he, he throws it all in front of the guy and he's like, Hey, I want to buy this piece of land. And the guy's like, Why would you want this lot? Why would you want this empty field? There's nothing here. It's not good property. You know what? Never mind. I'll take it. Thanks. Great. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And the guy takes possession of that field, and he says that it was worth it all. And everybody else says, "I don't understand. That doesn't make sense." They didn't see the big picture. The church at Colossae—they were—they were—they their faith in Christ was expanding. The church was growing. Their their love for each other, although it didn't make sense, it was expanding and it was growing. Why? Because they saw the big picture. And as a church, we see the big picture, don't we? That's that's part of who we are. Just last month, I'll show you, we commissioned our founding pastor, our lead pastor, to be a missionary and his family in Asia. That's a mark of a big picture-focused church. In 2019, God willing, we'll send a team to Hagerstown, of which I'll lead and part of this family will leave this space and won't be here on Sunday mornings. We'll be in Hagerstown. And Lord willing, in 2019 as well, we'll, we'll send another couple, Keith and Micah, to Asia as well. And they'll go. And they'll say goodbye. Why, why do we do stuff like that? Because we see the big picture. Because God has given us with eyes of faith to see this framework, this, the future, to have an anticipation and a hope. In just a few weeks, we'll, we'll begin to think and gather uh, frozen turkeys, hundreds of them. Thousands of pounds of turkeys will be gathered, frozen, and be given out. Why, does, why would we do something like that? isn't that even So one of the results of, uh, of our hope, of our big picture focus, is uh, s- uh, seeing a willingness to sacrifice the present on the altar of the future. That's something that this world doesn't know much about. It runs contrary to our nature. Young children, for instance, we, we struggle with uh, learning to say, hey, wait for something. We can't sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. We can't do it. That's, that doesn't, it's not consistent with our worldview. It's not consistent with what the, the focus that God has given to us. The world wants it now, but it, it, it's hard to see Jason and Carrie go. It's, it, they, they just had a little, little one born, beautiful little boy. It's hard to see him go. But we are ascending people, and we serve ascending God, and we see this vision, and that's what sends us. That's what calls us to action. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture, and as I do, I want you to, to actually listen to this as I read it. I want you to do that with your eyes closed. You're going to hear, as I read this portion of Scripture, you're going to hear about a group of people. I want you to envision everything in this, the text that I read. I want you to see it all. I want you to work really hard, even if you're not an imaginative person, to try really hard to see it all. And when it talks about a group of people, I want you to not just see a, a, a group of people with, with shadowy faces. I want you to see real faces in this group, in this, in this giant multitude. And the people's faces I want you to see, I want you to see people that you know from Martinsburg. I want you to really imagine, I want you to look even as we're talking, as, we're, as I'm reading, I want you to see through the crowd. I want you to see people that you know here in Martinsburg, family, friends, coworkers. And I want you to continue to think about people in Hagerstown that you know. No doubt you know somebody, some people from Hagerstown, people that you work with, some family, some friends, just people that maybe from a shop. Think about their faces. See them in the crowd. I want you to think about people from other nations as well. Not just randomness, but think of people's faces that you've actually seen. Just this week, running into people from, from Cameroon, from Ethiopia, from, from uh, uh, Nigeria. Think about those people. I want, to, I want you to think about people that you've met. Think about people from China, from, from Indonesia. Think about people from India. And interspersed in this crowd, as you see these faces, I want you to think about our church. I want you to think about our people. I want you to think about Jason and Carrie standing in that group of people with their children. I want you to think about uh, Pastor Jacob. I want you to see him and his family standing in that group of people. I want you to think about uh, Shea Osborne and Josh McClain and all the people that are parts of those church plants. I want you to see them in that group as well. And think of the, uh, the imagery. I want you to be where we're at right now. So close your eyes. Revelation chapter 7. I want to read verses 9 to 17. It says, After this I looked, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones that have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the Lamb of God. And Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne and He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Church, this is what Colossae saw. This is what they saw that day. This is what was motivating them. They saw this picture of an unnumbered group of people from all tribes, from all nations, from all continents, gathered together, worshiping God because he alone is worthy. The the church at Colossae, what did they say? They saw that God, the lamb, he would shepherd them. He would protect them and he would wipe away all tears from their eyes. And they, they struggled. They saw this is what we are at. This is what it is. This is not what it should be. But one day it will be made right. And that was their focus. And that should be our focus this morning as well. Life's not about us. It's about God. We have joy available for us, though, through the reconciliation made through Christ's death on the cross. It's why we send missionaries to India. It's why we send our family to Hagerstown. It's why we do that. We're big picture focused. We see the multitude from every nation saved. We see God wiping away every tear from their eyes. It's the big picture. So, church, at this time in our history, at this time in our life, when we ask questions what does the future hold? Who are we? This is who we are. We're big picture focused, so keep your hand on the plow. Keep your eyes on the focus, on the anticipation of the glory of God and the most beautiful thing in the world. Something might have distracted you. It, 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 there's a danger in us being distracted and our, our, our gaze being uh, drawn to something aside. We can't do that. We can't forget. We need to get back to our big picture focus, Christian. we got to get back to the big picture focused church to see the glory of God and the good of his people at the end. And the focus determines your destination. The focus, Our focus determines what our life on this earth, what our ministry here will look like. This is our hope. This is our focus. This is what we look forward to, and this is what awaits us. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening to audio from the Church at Martinsburg. Feel free to share this message with a friend and find more sermons at martinsburgchurch.org slash sermons. The Church at Martinsburg is a body of people helping people find and follow Jesus.